Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pineapple Pizza podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. This is your hostess, Lindsay, from Pineapple Pizza podcast. The following is an episode that Emily, Ashley, and I recorded of my podcast, Evil Crime, where they both were guests in my sister Maddie's absence. And it was sort of the first time that all three of us had a chance to record together. And it was also when we came up with the idea of Pineapple Pizza Podcast. So enjoy. Now on with the episode. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me today is Ashley from the Studying Scarlet podcast. Hi, everyone. And Emily from the Drink Drunk Dead podcast. Hello. Maddie is on vacation this week. The bomb. So how have you guys been doing? You know what? I'm alive still, so I'm not going to complain a whole lot. You got your new book. I did get my new book. Um, It is really messed up, but of Uh, course it is because it's for our show. So (laughs) I've been uh, reading that most of the day. It's been very interesting, but also disturbing. So you're saying you need to watch like some John Mulaney before you go to bed so you don't have the reading nightmares? That's a great idea. Um, Maybe I'll hit up New in Town because I just watched Comeback Kid for like the 17th time (laughs) three days ago. (laughs) And whenever I'm feeling down, I can just put on a John Mulaney bit and be like, oh, I'm better now. Everything's all better when someone makes you laugh. Yeah, this is true. Well, you're so good at what you do, Lindsay. I try. So today's topic is going to be about the first cremation in the United States. Woohoo! I am like really fascinated that this is a thing. I can't wait to hear who decided they were going to do this. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty interesting read. Like I read one article on it. And I was like, I know there's more. And then I went down a rabbit hole and was like, this is fascinating. So hopefully you guys will also find it entertaining. Looking forward to it. Me too. So information was pulled from the following sources. 2018 Plinton Curry Funeral Home article by Ron Curry. A 2016 Atlas Obscura article by Amy Elliott Bragg. A 2015 a Good Goodbye article by Gail Rubin, a 2009 Pennsylvania Center for the Book article by Megan Sickles, a How Stuff Works article by Michelle Kim, the Cremation Association of North America, and last but not least, Wikipedia. Oh, Wikipedia. <laughs> That's quite a list. <laughs> I know. I told you I went down a rabbit hole. I was like, I need to know more. <laughs> I'm seriously impressed. This is going to be good. <laughs> And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. So in the late 19th century America, the very idea of cremation was not only radical, but also extremely divisive amongst the population. After viewing a working model of a crematory at the Vienna Exposition in 1873, Dr. Francis Julius Lemoyne 
decided to introduce the state-of-the-art and forward-thinking concept to American audiences. So today we're going to discuss the history of cremation, the introduction of it into American funerary practices, and kind of the backlash that it caused. Americans getting all pissed off about things that are new? That doesn't sound like us. Such a new concept. (laughs) We are so adaptable. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We are such uh, easy breezy people. Absolutely. Very very forward thinking. So for the history of cremation, from the very beginning, methods of disposal of a body came in about three forms. And that was burial, cremation, everybody's favorite exposure. Just let nature take its course. And cremation itself has quite a long history from as early as 8,000 BC in China to 3,000 BC in Western culture. And evidence shows that it originated in Europe and the Near East during the Stone Age and began to spread to Northern Europe into areas like Western Russia and amongst the Slavic people. And with the advent of the Bronze Age, which is about 2,500 to 1,000 BC, cremation as a practice continued to spread to the British Isles, which is now modern day countries like Spain and Portugal. And cemeteries specifically designed for cremation began to pop up in countries like Hungary and Northern Italy before spreading to Northern Europe and as far away as Ireland. And that was like the Bronze Age. So if you can imagine being as forward thinking back then. I feel like somebody in 8,000 BCE just accidentally set fire to it. And it's like, oh shit. <laughs> you guys see what happened? It's like firewood. <laughs> Maybe we should do this all the time. <laughs> it smells really bad though. <laughs> He's so much smaller now though. It's easier to deal with the pieces. <laughs> we can dig a much smaller hole now. This is great. <laughs> so I'm going to say this wrong. Uh, my my CN? Mycenaean? Yes. Mycenaean age. Yeah. I knew one of you would know it. (laughs) Which started in 1000 BC, saw cremation become an integral part of Grecian burial customs. And in fact, it became the dominant mode of funerary rites by the time of Homer in 800 BC for a variety of reasons. One of which being that it would allow them to bury slain warriors much quicker because they could just do them all at once, pretty much. Burials in bulk. Bulk burials. Two for one sales. (laughs) And so it would make sense that the Romans adopted this practice around the same time, in about 600 BC. But it became so popular that an official decree had to be made in the mid-5th century, prohibiting the cremation of bodies within the city. Well, if you get the wrong kind of wind... Yeah. Yeah. My wine tastes a little gritty right now. Ew, no. <laughs> oh, <God>. oh. <laughs> oh, my God. You oh. went there. I went there. <laughs> and we all take sips of water. I know. We're all just. <laughs> I got to get that imaginary taste out of my mouth. (laughs) How do you segue from gritty wine? (laughs) Well, so at the height of the Roman Empire, which was 27 BC to about 395 AD, cremation elevated to the point where elaborate urns started to become common as a means to store one's remains. And some were even constructed to hold the remains of two people, which were called amphorae. And the Romans would construct these columbarium-like buildings. So think like um, buildings that have a lot of shelves, like little storage, like nesting box type shelves, which they would use to display and store these decorative urns. So people could come and visit them and pay their respects and also to kind of show off, hey, look at this fancy urn that I got from my mother or whatever. But unlike the Romans, the Greeks chose to bury the urns of their loved ones in tumuli, or mounds of stone and earth. And even though it was a common practice amongst the Romans, the practice was viewed as pagan and unholy amongst early Christians and clashed with the traditional sepulture and tombment practices of Judaism, which, I mean, they didn't really start accepting that as a practice until fairly recently as an option for Judaism. Makes sense, actually, though. 
Because what didn't what didn't hit the fan when Rome started uh, getting involved with Christianity? Yeah. And in fact, nice segue, thanks to Constantine's crusade to Christianize the entire empire, earth burial replaced cremation as the preferred method of body disposal in 400 AD. And for the next 1500 years, it would remain as the accepted mode of disposition throughout Europe, with the exception being rare instances of cremation in times of plague or war, which, you know, makes sense. I found this fact particularly hilarious. So during the French Revolution, Freemasons, revolutionaries, and anarchists encouraged the use of cremation as a way to thumb their nose at the church's role in the funeral process. (laughs) (laughs) They were such badasses. (laughs) They were like, F you Catholics. (laughs) Just to prove my disdain for you, I'm going to have my own body set on fire. (laughs) How do you like me now? (laughs) Kiss my flaming ass. And they were just like, oh, how dare you? So what we can we consider modern cremation didn't come about until around a century ago after Professor Brunetti of Italy displayed his model of a dependable cremation chamber at the 1873 Vienna Exposition. And after its reveal, the cremation movement began to once again gain ground on both sides of the pond. In Europe, Sir Henry Thompson who was the first baronet and physician to Queen Victoria, championed the practice of cremation and founded the Cremation Society of England in 1874. And the first crematories in Europe were built in both Woking, England, and Gotha, Germany, a few years later in 1878. Woking? Woking. They were so woke. They were woke. woke. (laughs) (laughs) They were so woke, they had to make a whole town named after it. Ashley's just groaning over there. (laughs) It's like, oh God. I'm all right. I'm good. (laughs) I'm actually surprised that that's that recent, though, because I kind of thought we would have gotten there a little sooner. I knew that they burned bodies in the plague. So maybe that's just why I thought we got there quicker than the, you know, the 1800s. Well, you think about it, they wouldn't even allow dissections. For a long time, because the bodies had to be whole. It was that whole belief of like Jesus rising up and after his death, you had to have your body whole if you ever had any hope of coming back. Yeah, Yeah. that's like what I mentioned in the last episode with uh, the fairy coffins. Like they Mm -hmm. were, you know, if your body wasn't whole when you were buried, it was like, how are you going to come back? You can't. So in North America... The first open air cremation took place in 1792 as Mr. Henry Lawrence had a fear of being buried alive and insisted on the practice being done, which is fair. However, the first modern crematory wasn't constructed until 1876 by Dr. Francis Julius Lemoyne in Washington, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Local pride for burning there you bodies. Go. <laughs> you know you what? Guys I wanna, did it. <laughs> I want to know why this guy is more concerned about being buried alive than he is about being burned alive. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> Maybe because it's like if you like started, like if your clothes start on fire, you would wake up faster. Whereas if your oxygen's already being low, if you're buried in the earth, you know what I mean? Is he that deep of a sleeper that he's that concerned about it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that used to happen, though, like all the time. Uh-huh. Had to have those the bells, bells at the yep. grave, so I get where he's coming from. With like, I, don't put me in there if I'm alive, guys. But I don't want to be set on fire if I'm alive that's, either. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No thanks. I'm glad I was born in the period of history that I was. Let's just say that. (laughs) Me too, because I'd probably already be dead at this age. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Me too. So right now we're going to talk about Dr. Francis Julius Lemoyne. I think I'm saying his name right. So Dr. Lemoyne was born on September 4th in 1798 to Dr. John Julius Lemoyne and Nancy McGully in Washington, Pennsylvania, which is, I looked, just 30 miles southwest of Pittsburgh. That is correct. Can confirm. There you go. (laughs) Road trip. Let's do it. (laughs) I'll go visit the very first crematorium. It looks very cute from the pictures that I saw. I was like, aw, look how cute you are. Little brick building. So Dr. Lemoyne spent most of his childhood shadowing his father, who, in addition to being a physician, also spent time one time or another as an innkeeper or a druggist. He was also an amateur naturalist who enjoyed wildflowers and exotic birds. So he spent a lot of time 
learning a lot of different trades and being around a lot of different people. Lemoyne attended Washington College before enjoying a successful career as a medical doctor and apothecary. He was also a civil rights activist who would regularly open his home and other properties to slaves as they headed north on the Underground Railroad, which I thought was pretty badass. Yeah, I like this guy. This guy's awesome. He's got chops. Yeah. And Lemoyne also believed strongly in education and helped start Washington's first free public library, which was named the Citizens Library and the Washington Female Seminary. So he didn't just talk it, but he actually cared a lot about making sure people were taken care of and like treated fairly and stuff, which I thought was really cool in a time when that wasn't as popular of a thing. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That seminary alone is pretty groundbreaking because people didn't really like to teach us uh, lady folk to read too often back in the day. Just in case we had thoughts. Yep. (laughs) Don't let them women get too smart. Yep. (laughs) So, and as he got older and his rheumatoid arthritis and diabetes started to take its toll, by 1855, he turned his attention away from medical practice and more towards medical research, specifically what should be done with the bodies of the dead. And before building the crematory on his own property, Lemoyne approached a local cemetery to see if he could construct it on their land. They immediately dismissed him with disgust and horror, like, F you, no way, get the hell out of here. Like, no. So, which is always how you want to have your requests responded to. <laughs> I think Ashley feels like that sometimes. Oh, yeah. I do. I know how he feels. <laughs> <laughs> if he were in modern times, I can tell you he would have gone home and eaten a pint of Ben and Jerry's because <laughs> that's the cure for sadness. <laughs> yeah. Watch some sad TV or listen to some sad music. Cry for a little bit. Pretend you just have allergies. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I was just spending a lot of time outside. It's fine. It's the pollen. (laughs) So Lemoyne enlisted the help of his friend John Dye, who drew inspiration for Lemoyne's crematory from the one built by Frederick Siemens in Germany. It was a revolutionary design in which the flames never actually touched the body, which was kind of cool. So it's like a pig roast? Yeah, it's pretty much just heat alone is what destroys the body. I guess I never really thought about it. Yeah, I hadn't really either until now. And then I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Crispy. (laughs) Mm. Don't forget to flip it. Just kidding. Just kidding. That was bad. Is that where they came up with the long pig? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) You didn't. She had gritty wine. (laughs) I did. That's fair. That's fair. So the 20 by 30 foot room costs about $1,500 to build, which in today's money would be just over $36,000. Oh my God. And held a reception room as well as a smaller furnace room where the actual cremations were conducted. The furnace itself was 10 feet long by six feet high and six feet wide. And the furnace was initially heated using coal, but later a pipe was added to allow heat by gas, which would be a lot easier to maintain the control of the heat that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the reception room held a table that was used to help prepare the bodies for cremation. Lemoyne would have the bodies wrapped in a linen sheet and a type of plaster to protect observers from seeing the graphic breakdown of the body. And the wrapped body would then be covered in herbs, spices, pine branches, and flowers in a pretty vain attempt to mask the smell once it was, you know, put in the oven, basically. Which brings us back to Dr. Lemoyne and his trial cremation. Oh, trial. I'm so worried. I'm so worried. (laughs) Well, I did read that prior to this, he tested it on a bunch of his own dead sheep to make sure that it actually worked how he wanted it to work. And I was like, those poor sheep. (laughs) They were already dead. That's true. I'm sure if they were covered in wool, you wouldn't have to necessarily wrap them in linen because they've already kind of got their own. They should be pretty flammable. (laughs) Yeah, you'd think they would go fairly quickly with or without the flames. Firewall. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I'm picturing flaming sheep. Someone help me. Oh, that would be hysterical and awful. I'm just thinking like when a marshmallow catches on fire and it's just like, <laughs> oh God. Oh my God. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> so a 
reporters showed up to the property of Dr. Lemoyne on December 6, 1876, to watch as the first modern cremation on U.S. soil was performed. According to a reporter from the Philadelphia Times, it was, quote, a little ghostly. And given why they were all gathered there, he was probably right. The remains that were to be cremated that day were those of Joseph Henry Louis Charles, also known as Baron de Palme. Mm, that's quite yes. a name. Yeah. Joseph was a member of the Theosophical Society of New York, fascinated by Eastern philosophy, and suffered from taphophobia or the fear of being buried alive. Huh, that's fair. So Joseph was a recent immigrant to New York from Austria who found himself bankrupt and very ill, even though he was of noble blood. And thankfully, Dr. Lemoyne vowed to cremate him free of charge if Joseph was willing to be basically his test subject. So his friend Henry Steele Alcott, who was a close friend of the Barons, arranged the transport of Joseph's body to the care of Lemoyne in early December by way of train, which that'd be fun to be sitting next to that guy on the train. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I'm picturing like a weekend at Bernie's type of situation where he's just like... <laughs> sunglasses over his face don't worry about it he's just tired cramming the flowers in everywhere to keep him smelling fresh <laughs> oh my god <laughs> alcott traveled with the baron and they both arrived in pittsburgh on december 5th before continuing on to washington pennsylvania and that morning the furnace was lit by james wolf and it took six hours to preheat the crematory to 2300 degrees fahrenheit the cremation itself took 36 hours to complete That includes the six hours to preheat the crematory, six hours to cremate, and 24 hours to cool the remains, which were then placed in an urn and sprinkled with perfume. That's pretty time consuming. Yes. He's human potpourri. Pretty much. You can put him in your bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Pop the lid open. What's in there? It's Uncle Joe. (laughs) Smells like mesquite. (laughs) A little bit of a tang to it. (laughs) <laughs> I, tried, I tried to hold that one <laughs> so joseph was placed in the furnace at approximately eight twenty a.m and by eleven fifteen a.m the cremation was complete when all was said and done the cremation costs just seven dollars and four cents or just under a heaven 172 dollars in today's money but it cost the guy like $36,000 to build that place. Mm-hmm. And it took essentially two whole days for one body. Yeah. How's he ever going to make that money back? <laughs> I don't know. So a Times reporter who witnessed the cremation of Baron de Palm was horrified by what he saw, stating, quote, if de Palm could have foreshadowed the startling scenes his poor bones would have to go through, he would have thought twice before he jumped into the fire, end quote. And I was like, it's not like they just threw him in the fire, man. Did they observe the whole thing, the whole six hours? I might not have put it in there, but the... The furnace itself had like a double door system, but mm-hmm. there was a window so you could look in and observe to, so you would know when it was done. And I think the reporters took turns looking in through the window to kind of like view the process because I read on one site that there were like 20 or so reporters and noble people that came to watch this happen. And there were also like hundreds of people outside trying to look in through the windows to see what was happening. But yeah, they would like take turns looking at the window to kind of see what was actually happening to the body. Well, when you burn a body, the bones get pretty brittle and they shatter, don't they? Mm -hmm. And you get shards. I imagine that would be pretty freaking shocking. Yeah. Thinking about they're imagining probably something being entirely ash, just the way your wood would be. But bone doesn't burn like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, it doesn't. But a lot of people don't know that even Mm -hmm. today. (laughs) So if you're unfamiliar with that and you weren't prepared to see bones just shattering and shards, that would probably be pretty shocking. Yeah, that would be pretty freaky. A visitor to the crematory described the room as follows in an article of The Observer Reporter. Quote, everything was plain, repulsively so, just a practical corpse incinerator as unesthetic as a bake oven. 
What are you supposed to fancy that thing up? I was like, is it supposed to have like lights and whistles or something? Like, why is the lacy a, curtains? Why isn't there a sculpture in this thing? <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be like a water fountain or something there. Like, <laughs> there's no water feature. There's no marble. <laughs> 1980s lights and laser water show. <laughs> So even though the cremation of the Baron went smoothly, it didn't change the fact that many Americans viewed Lemoyne as an irregular practitioner of barbaric pagan rituals that went against God. And his local community thought of him as a filthy, unkept fool that had been excommunicated from his Presbyterian church for his beliefs. And that's when you want to whisper, hey, Christianity, all of your holidays are pagan. What? All of them. (laughs) (laughs) But Easter. (laughs) Ostara. (laughs) But Christmas. Saturnalia. Oh, my gosh. So one positive outcome after the successful trial run of Lemoyne's cremation was that a second crematory was built in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in 1884. And it was owned and operated by the Lancaster Cremation and Funeral Reform Society and was actually supported by Protestant clergy who were looking to reform burial practices, as well as medical practitioners who were concerned with health conditions around early cemeteries. They were worried about like the bodies decomposing and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wood coffins. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that those corpses are not likely to catch anything. (laughs) (laughs) I caught the flu from this ash pile. (laughs) Maybe I inhaled some. I don't know. So soon crematories began to spring up in Buffalo, New York, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Detroit, and even as far away as Los Angeles, with 20 open and operating by the year 1900. And many of these crematories were designed to look like chapels with their stonework and stained glass and operated independently as, as at that time, cemeteries often viewed them as competitors. <laughs> and as an aside, two more cremations would take place at Lemoyne's crematory shortly after the Barons, that of a teacher from Cincinnati and of Lemoyne himself. Lemoyne lost his battle with diabetes on October 14th, 1879, so just three years after the Baron, and his urn was buried outside the crematory with a monument that read, F. Julius Lemoyne, M.D., born September 4th, 1798, died October 14th, 1879, a fearless advocate of the right. Like, the right things to do. Let's just be clear. <laughs> he was and, pretty old. Yeah, he he, he lived to be pretty there. old, which is impressive considering he had diabetes. Yeah. Especially at that time, it was not, there weren't any good ways to treat it at that point in time. So the crematory itself closed in 1901 after performing 41 successful cremations. And the building itself is being preserved by the Washington County Historical Society. That's so you can cool. actually still go there and see it and stuff. and. I think I read that they pretty much have as much of the original stuff inside as possible. Like they even still have the cremation table that he would put the people on to get them ready. Dude, I'm going to have to cover that. I bet that place is haunted like crazy. It (laughs) might be. So I thought we'd kind of dial it back a little bit and actually go into why cremation was such a deal breaker for so many people. Like why people were fighting it so much and also why people wanted it. So in the late 19th century America, cremation, as I said, was this radical idea that really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And Lemoyne and other advocates of cremation firmly believed that burying the dead in the ground allowed germs to spread in the soil, which, okay, they believed that it aided in the spread of diseases like yellow fever, typhus, and cholera, which we know isn't really true, but I feel like they were also kind of right in the sense that if you do have a pandemic sort of illness, it makes more sense to dispose of the body sooner rather than later, especially if a lot of people are dying at the same time. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, I can understand their logic, not necessarily the putrefying of the earth or whatever. Well, bodies decaying could, especially in wood, if that wood isn't properly sealed you end up with that in your water system yeah it can reach into the groundwater mm-hmm. yeah it's so. gonna be like the cecil hotel and lisa lamb oh Oregon. god oh my god why <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> poor ashley she's like we got gritty wine <laughs> we got long cake <laughs> we got a lisa lamb <laughs> liquid 
safe, Ashley. Don't drink anything. <laughs> Just go back to the flaming sheep. <laughs> You're all liquid from now on. <laughs> Just sticking with Red Bull for life. <laughs> for sake, all else. <laughs> I was on Amazon after this to find like the most heavy duty water purification filter she could find. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> we cover we covered that case, so I've already spent hours like being horrified that people were bathing in that water and drinking it and brushing their teeth uh, with it. Wait, this uh, tastes funny. Uh, I literally just listened to like two maybe three other podcasts also cover that story. And yeah. I was like, I can't do it anymore. I can't listen to any more podcasts cover this story or I will just die. Because every time we got to that part, I was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anti-cremationists argued that burning bodies would encourage crime because you can't exhume a corpse. Okay. So like, I don't know if that meant like grave robbing. Like they... I don't understand the logic. How well, could that if, encourage it? If they're saying that, here's my train of thought um, as someone who's really messed up in the head. <laughs> I'm assuming they mean you couldn't exhume someone who had been murdered and further inspect the body for evidence. Those people don't seem to understand how quickly you decayed back in the day. So they're not going to find much of anything, guys, even though you're not alive anymore. So that's really not the best plan. And burying people yeah. does actually lead to more crime because grave robbing. Woo. Yep. Yeah. Because I feel like this sort of conversations took place before embalming became a funerary practice. So Which yeah. is also gross. It is super gross. And, and these people also felt that the idea that diseases could be spread by underground bodies was just a bunch of like fear mongering, basically, is how they viewed it. They aren't really wrong, but at the same time, like, they didn't like, have evidence. Yeah. Way. Yeah. It's not like there was a bunch of like scientific research proving one way or the other. But cremation offered the promise of a sterile way to dispose of human remains, which would bypass the slow and disgusting practice of natural decomp and when done in a state-of-the-art indoor furnace the disposal was considered a high-tech and sanitary alternative and it also solved the problem of overpopulation in places such as urban areas because if you think about it in the past burial grounds used to be miles away from the nearest city but as populations continued to increase and the towns continued to grow along with it cemeteries would have to also increase in size to make room for all these extra people, yeah. which would therefore take up valuable real estate that could instead be used as housing. So that's where a lot of people were who were for cremation were like, hey, we can't be giving cemeteries all this really nice land where we could be building all these houses and stuff for people to live. So legit argument. And because cremation was slow to catch on, and since the number of crematories didn't start to really grow until after the 1900s, it was sometimes hard to hold true to a loved one's desire to be cremated, such as the case of Barbara Shore, who passed in Millersburg, Ohio in 1887. Her family sent her body nearly 200 miles to Detroit to be cremated, as that was the closest crematory at the time. But since it was still being constructed, she had to lay in state for several weeks until its completion, which is horrifying. Yeah. And being that cremation was seen as a betterment for public health, it attracted a number of supporters from all walks of life, including a number of women activists. In fact, suffragist Lucy Stone was the first person to be cremated at the Forest Hills Crematory in Boston in 1893. Woo, woo, women bringing it in for the win. Woo, woo, burn my body, burn my body. Not a witch, not a witch. <laughs> Good distinction. Good. It's my choice this time. <laughs> <laughs> and by the turn of the century, the sensationalist attitudes towards cremation started to wane and the practicalities of its use started to sway more and more people. It didn't cost as much because you didn't have to purchase a plot in the cemetery or pay for a really nice marker. In fact, most cemeteries came to the same conclusion and decided it would make sense to team up with crematories instead of trying to fight them over who they or who would get the, the bodies of the dead, basically. And fun fact, 
1899, Mount Auburn Cemetery, which is one of the original rural cemeteries in the United States, hired an architect to turn an existing chapel on their grounds into a crematory, thus marking it as the first cemetery crematory in the state of Massachusetts. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And the last little fun thing I wanted to talk about was urns. (laughs) (laughs) The face that went with that. It's true. And and the listeners were robbed of that. (laughs) Maybe I'll post a picture of it somewhere. Urns. (laughs) So in the U.S. in the 19th century, urns were initially made from a variety of metals, such as brass, bronze, copper, and in some cases, even tin. And depending on where in the country you lived, the style of urn varied as well. So round urns were really popular in the Northeast, while the West Coast gravitated more towards rectangular and book-style urns. And in the Midwest, we tended to prefer a combination of sorts with either boxes or vase shapes being the most popular. And memorial urns were also highly fashionable and sought after tributes to loved ones. And in the 1800s, Columbaria, which I mentioned earlier, the like nesting place type of thing, mm-hmm. were constructed all across the country in places such as Long Island, New York, St. Louis, Missouri, and San Francisco, California. And this is my last fun fact for you. The site where the first crematory was built on Lemoyne's property was popularly known as Gallows Hill due to the fact that it used to be an execution site. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> And that is the fun history of the first cremation in the United States. That was really interesting. It definitely was. Although it's really funny that that guy got his uh, panties in such a bunch about seeing a body burn on a location where they used to publicly execute people. (laughs) Exactly. Good point. Irony doesn't like you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of, uh, I was wondering, you know, at the turn of the 20th century, a pretty common thing was to have your family member late in your living room in the 18 and early 1900s for days. Oh my God. So if they did that and then went to a crematorium, they could not have been any kind of fresh by that time. No wonder they had to use a whole bunch of mesquite chips. Like they were like, they had to cover that up. You just went in on it. (laughs) Would you like mesquite or hickory for your uh, cremation? No, I was feeling a little bit of cherry today. (laughs) Oh, that's a very exotic choice. Congratulations. (laughs) Well, if they're going to be competing over who has the prettiest urn. Yeah. yeah, Because you know they were. Well, obviously, who has the prettiest urn and whose ashes smell the best based on what we dumped in them after we burned you. Yeah. I feel (laughs) like I read on one site that... um, some hoity-toity guy was talking about as they the stuff that they would put on the linen before they put them in that they basically would douse them in like a mix of like frankincense and myrrh before they put them in there and I was like okay you fancy (laughs) oh my god so yeah what do you guys think I thought it was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's really fascinating. It's weird how history goes in phases like that, where at one point they were like, oh, yeah, this is totally a practical thing to do. Like, we should definitely burn the bodies. It's a more sanitary disposal. And then we just go into a phase first, the hundreds of years where we're like, no, that's barbaric. We're not doing that. And then we end up coming back around to the same conclusion in the end. Yeah. Well, think about when it went out of popularity was right at the start of essentially the dark ages <laughs> when we lost a lot of literacy and education and it all became very very strict religious practice and then you hit the age of enlightenment and people are starting to learn more and think a little more broadly about the world around them and what it means and you're right it circles back around there was enlightenment we went fucking stupid and we came back. <laughs> and now I'm starting to get worried about where we're headed. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Well, and I, I debated on going into like the history of different, how cremation affects different religions. Yeah. But I was like, that would have just taken me on another huge rabbit hole. But I do know that, like I said earlier, you know, in Judaism, for various reasons, they were very against it. 
for a very long time. And it wasn't until very recently that they've considered it to be something that you can do. Most sects of Judaism that allow you to do that are the more um, progressive, progressive ones. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the more traditional ones, if you are cremated, you basically are not considered Jewish anymore. Well, that's part of why World War II was as awful as it was what they did at those concentration camps to those the Jewish prisoners mm-hmm. why it was so awful they did that for a reason absolutely yeah. the same thing with the tattoos because their bodies had to be whole and unmarked mm-hmm. yeah it was like a double whammy f you type of thing yep so because the world is awesome yep <laughs> but, but in like Hindu cultures that's part of their religion is yeah, absolutely is cremation that's one of the like the 16 rituals something like that for your your life is to that's how you're supposed to go so in some some religious cultures it's just that's just part of what it is that's just what you do so it's not even a question of oh am i gonna be buried oh am i gonna uh, like that's just what you do mm-hmm. so it's a beautiful thing about faith in this world is there are so many different points of view mm-hmm. yeah. gives us something to talk about <laughs> this is true So I didn't pick any sort of like fun thing that we could talk about after the fact. Maybe since we're talking about it, what are your your guys' final plans in regards to cremation? Is that something that you are considering as your final send off or are you the more traditional burial type of person? Ugh, I, I there's no way I'm getting put in a box. It's not it's not happening. I'm not getting buried. I don't I'm first of all I'm claustrophobic so that idea is horrifying. Um I like the idea of cremation. I think it's practical. I also like that it's cheaper even though it's not as cheap as it obviously used to be. It's not $7 or whatever now. Uh but You know, the business of dying is a very expensive business. So I like the practicality of it for that reason. Although I've also read about that thing where you can be used to fertilize a tree. Uh And I'm going to be honest, that appeals to me. (laughs) So if I had to pick right now, I would pick the tree thing because then I get to help uh, give life to a tree. And that sounds really awesome. You can still do that after being cremated. Can you? Yeah. 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 They cremate you and then they put the seed in the ash. I think it's mixed with some soil too, but Mm -hmm. basically you help fertilize the tree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I knew they had to do like put you through a process. I wasn't sure if it was just like regular cremation or not, but I, I really like that idea of Mm -hmm. being able to give something back to like the natural world. Mm -hmm. What tree would you pick? (laughs) I don't know. I haven't thought about it that much. (laughs) I actually, the tree thing, that's what I want to do is I want to be cremated and let my body help give birth to a tree. And I want a weeping willow. That is a type of tree that I want to be my contribution to the world. Did you know if you plant a weeping willow by a river and they drop their branches, the willows that are downstream are all clones. Really? Uh Uh-huh. They regenerate. They plant themselves. So you'll clone yourself all over the place. That's so I could cool. be everywhere. Willows See, Emily cool. knows everything about trees. What kind of tree, <laughs> what kind of tree should I pick, Emily? Oh, that just I don't know. It really depends on your preferences. Do you want something that makes nuts? Sure. Because I'm crazy, that provides a lot so of let's give mass. some nuts. Hmm. <laughs> you could be well, a fruit-bearing tree. <laughs> yeah, but what if somebody comes along and eats you? Yeah, that's true. You yes. can be like those horrible like crab apple trees in the Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah. You're like throwing your apples at people. That's how Ashley gets it out in the afterlife. Get all it, that tension out. It is. I whip crab apples at people. <laughs> so you're a mixture of the whomping willow and an apple tree. Pretty much. That's what it sounds like. I like it. That sounds like me. Good choices. Let's see if we can make that happen. <laughs> How about you, Emily? I too had wanted to create my, myself and become like with the tree. Although I can't do chestnuts because as my research has shown, those guys are not sticking around that long. Oh, okay. my poor chestnuts. Oh, that's, uh, that's sad. Not a great, not a great option. So we'll skip the chestnuts. I had thought about being an apple tree, but Joel said that would be gross. Nobody wants to eat your dead body. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people would like to eat your dead body. <laughs> no. <laughs> Long pig. <laughs> <laughs> you other- can be your own new brand of apple. The 
long pig apple. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just call it the Emily apple. <laughs> the Emily apple. It <laughs> tastes like ham. Just kidding. <laughs> Boy, this has an awfully meaty aftertaste. <laughs> I'd also thought about um, donating my body to science to those body yeah. farms. And then mm-hmm. Kudzu Killers was like, oh, wait, they have they all have a waiting list. There's a yeah, there's a huge waiting list for those because otherwise that is a really cool idea. Like, how yeah. do you have a wait list for body farm? Do you just stick them in a fridge and wait for it? Or do you because that won't work? Is it if you die and you're not there's not enough space, then sorry, you better have a backup plan. How does that work? How does a wait list for death work? I, I have wonder a feeling if it's, it's the second thing. I have a feeling it's the second thing. Because yeah. they're not going to be able to preserve you for like a super long time. You need to be like relatively, I hate to say it, but fresh. Yeah, for science. To be useful for science. So Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's something that you would sign up for. Like way in advance. Way in advance. And then if your time comes and they're like, sorry, we don't have a spot for you, then it's plan B. Yeah. That sounds like the most practical way that that would work to me. Mm-hmm. When I was a little, li- I can't say little, but little or smaller, younger, <laughs> I wanted to be buried in the Adams family graveyard because they all had these badass death stories. They're really awful deaths. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Maybe that's not the way I want to go. <laughs> that's true. I was going to say you, mentioning donating your body to science i do want to if possible depending on what happens when i go donate whatever organs are viable prior to my cremation just because i feel like that's important if i have stuff that someone else can use nobody's gonna take my liver my lungs are pretty useless (laughs) unless you want to develop asthma when you wake up from surgery i think people are going to be like no thank you to my lungs and i think Lindsay, you and i with our glasses have pretty much ruled out our eyeballs as being useful to anybody else at this point yeah i'm also blind i just have contacts in so mine are not any good nobody wants those (laughs) completely wasteless wasteless (laughs) wasteless And I have not been drinking tonight. <laughs> Useless. Well, death is fun. Always fun to wrap <laughs> death into everything. I, I just keep going back mentally to the, the sheep. Yes. <laughs> like I picture them like when kids, do you remember Dennis the Menace when he had the flaming marshmallow and he's winging it like this and it goes yeah. fly? <laughs> yeah, I do remember That's what that. I keep picturing. It's just this sheep airborne on fire. Wasn't there a movie, I'm drawing a blank on what one it was, but I feel like there was a movie where they were camping and someone had a flaming marshmallow and they were like shaking it and then it flew off and hit somebody in the eye. That would be horrific. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Like, oh, why in the eye? To the eye. Eyes. Mm -mm. Eyes. Yuck. I know that's your thing. You can't, you can't do that. Mm-mm. It was some sort of comedy movie. It probably exists though. Cause you know, we do things like that and we're like, this is really funny. But then when you tell people about it later, they're like, that's not a real thing. It's, al- <laughs> it's always a real thing. It's yeah. always real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like it's something Steve-O did. Yeah. Or Johnny Knoxville. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was a movie I'm remembering it right. Lyle Lovett. Lyle oh Lovett. my God, the country singer. Oh, oh God. <laughs> uh, no, I need to know. It kind of sounds like a bushwhacked scene. It was the new guy. Okay, I've uh, seen that. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, he was, I think he was DJ Qualls. Is that his name? Yeah. He, he was his dad. Something like that. Okay, yeah. Even though he was so goofy and weird. <laughs> I'm a nerd, sorry. <laughs> you're in good company we're on there yeah i was gonna say like who are you talking to (laughs) there's no need to apologize no not at all has your plague doctor got a name yet not yet has anybody but me voted yes we've had a couple voters are they voting all over the place yeah they're just kind of all over the place so it's not helping it's not helping so i put out the link again today and I'm just going to be sharing the link every day. And then if there's two that are close, I'll do a Twitter poll and just do a runoff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel bad. He doesn't have a name. He's so soft. (laughs) Like the softest thing I've ever owned. 
When we went to a spirit Halloween today, there were a whole bunch of plague doctor costumes, a whole bunch of different kinds. Yeah. That's going to be a hot seller this year. Yeah. Last year, everybody's like, that's so weird. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I think Maddie asked me one time, she's like, why do you like them so much? I said, well, okay, to be fair, it's hilarious. Like, look at this guy. But two, um, when I was 16, I went to the UK and Ireland for three weeks as part of this, like, student ambassador program type thing. Nerd. I know. (laughs) Um, But when we were in Scotland, specifically in Edinburgh, we went on like a haunted tour and they took us to one of the areas where like the plague was a really big deal and where they basically ended up building the city on top of where the plague took place. Mm. And they actually had a plague mask and they asked if somebody wanted to try it on. And I raised my hand like super fucking fast and I actually I got to wear it and it was like this brown leather you know thing but like the nose was like super super long and it's because they would like stuff it like chock full with like you know flowers and stuff and it was funny because I put it on and I'm such an asshole like the minute the moment I had it on I turned to one of my friends it was like like just like such a dick and she screamed bloody murder she was so pissed at me but I was like yeah I got to actually like wear a plague doctor mask so it's always just kind of been my thing that's really cool was it one from the actual like 1600s yeah not a recreation not a recreation not a recreation no not a recreation not a recreational mask (laughs) (laughs) you know for for night plaguing (laughs) there's room in the nose for a family of five (laughs) don't have any pockets on your pants just shove it all in the nose It's like the Jenko jeans of like the 1600s. Just shove everything, shove got everything the key, in the nose. Keys in there, they turn real fast, they hear it jingle. <laughs> like slaps you in the ear if you turn your head too fast. <laughs> we all need these. I know. The new style. It would just make wearing a mascot in public so much easier. There's somebody is making, I've seen them out there where somebody's making functional masks to deal with what's going on right now with COVID in that style, which is so badass. It'd be awesome (laughs) to walk around with that. Everybody's going to just get the heck out of your way if you come walking in the store with that move through real easy. Yeah. Oh, man. I want it. it. (laughs) We know what Lindsay's doing after this call. (laughs) Playing Dr. Masks for sale. (laughs) Give them to me. Yeah, that's why you need the P.O. box. Let somebody send you one. I know. Like, you need to set up a P.O. box. I just see what it costs at our little post office. All right. I should probably close it out, shouldn't I? Oh, yeah, we didn't close. <laughs> no, we, we did not close. <laughs> we went on a really delightful tangent, so it was fine. Oops. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com and follow us on social media at yieldcrimepod on Twitter and yieldcrimepodcast on Instagram. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think of the show, any stories you'd like to share, or if you just want to tell us that we're pretty, because we'd like hearing that we're pretty. You're gorgeous. (laughs) You're beautiful. You're beautiful. (laughs) If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider giving us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, as it really helps us out. If you like us, you can also support us at Yield Crime Podcast on Patreon or by purchasing some of our merch on TeePublic. You can find links to both in the show notes. And as always, I'm Lindsay. I'm Emily. And I'm Ashley. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. Nice. I did it right. Yes. Yay!